There comes a time in every rightly constructed boy's life when he has a raging desire to go somewhere and dig for hidden treasure. Mark Twain. I'm just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I Hello, and welcome back to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. And I say welcome back. Maybe this is your first time actually finding us. If so, we are thrilled that you're here and truly believe that you're going to be blessed by the conversation we are going to have today. We'll get to that in a moment. My name is Brett Etheridge. I'm a co-host of the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast, joined as always by my other co-host. I guess there's only one other co-host, Perry Hughes. (laughs) Perry, welcome. How's your week been so far? Thanks, Brett. It's been actually a fantastic week. I would love to share a quick um, uplift moment. Last night, I was reading to my two youngest kids, reading a little story to them before bed, actually out of the Hardy Boys book, one of the Hardy Boys books. But the kids told me, Dad, we love when you read to us because it actually makes going to bed not so miserable anymore. <laughs> and you know, my, my daughter is like, yeah, I was looking at the clock today and it was like three o'clock and I was like, oh, it's only already three o'clock, you know, because she's thinking in anticipation of the time that I'm going to get to spend or she's thinking of the time they're going to get to spend with me, you know, at bedtime in their beds while I read one little chapter out of Hardy Boys book. So that was pretty cool. And that's actually a new thing. I haven't always done that reading to the kids at night. Um, it's been, you know, relatively new because we took away all their electronics and we would, we used to let them listen to an audible. And I've realized that, you know, if I just use an electronic device to replace me as a father, then I'm, I'm missing out on a blessing. My kids are missing out on a blessing and it's kind of the, the easy path. So it was neat to see some fruits of that this week. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a good week. How about you? Yeah, no, I, lo- I love that. Uh, maybe I need to get back to actually reading out loud to my older boys. They've sort of gone from loving story time and loving books to now it's like, okay, but you have to read on your own for 15 minutes before bed. And they're like, oh, it's like this chore now that they have to do it on their own. So anyway, that's really cool. Yeah, I've had a good week. I actually went for a run with my oldest son for the first time. It's like one of those moments where it's like, man, I've been waiting for my kids to be old enough to go for a run with me. I just love to run and exercise. And my oldest, age 12, is running cross country for school. And uh, um, you know, he had to do some extra running. He always runs, obviously, after school, but he was supposed to run on the weekend. So we went for a little run together, and it was just kind of cool being out there and just just running with him. And he can kind of hang with me. I mean, it wasn't a super fast pace, but we we could run together, so that was cool. Um, and we are joined today by Pastor Wes from North Carolina, and Wes is actually your good buddy, Perry. So I'll let you uh, sort of tell listeners a little bit about uh, Wes and what we're going to be doing today. Yeah, well, uh, Wes and I go way back to college years, and we both attended Brevard College uh, back in the day. Wes was a music major, and I was actually a wilderness leadership major. And the Lord has really led Wes on some pretty wild adventures in his life. And uh, some of those, you know, involve working on a cruise ship, some evangelical exploration in the jungles of Peru, uh, marriage, fatherhood. And now, like we mentioned, he's the pastor of a local church there in Brevard, North Carolina. So Wes, we are so honored for you to join us today. Welcome, welcome, and maybe give us a glimpse at how your week's been this week. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here with you guys. I appreciate what you're doing. 
Uh, it's been a good week so far. I had some nice family time. Uh, boys and I got to sit down and watch a little bit of an action movie last night, and they really loved that, spending time with Dad hanging out. Uh, this past weekend, we got to go explore a waterfall, and my boys are 9 and 11, and they're starting to get to the point where they can hike a little further. And so we did a really long hike for them. It was about an hour and a half and slid down a waterfall, had a blast together and hiked back. And they're excited to tell everybody about it afterwards. Uh, So uh, it's been a good week so far. That's awesome. That may or may not have been like an intentional adventure you had with your kids, knowing you were going to be on this podcast to talk about (laughs) boyhood. (laughs) Because let me just situate the listeners and time and space and sort of what we're going to be talking about. A couple episodes ago, we introduced a book that we're going to be going through in periodic episodes called Fathered by God by John Eldridge. And we recounted a little bit of sort of the journey, the the journey to manhood that John lays out, really the initiation process through the different stages from boyhood through, you know, through the sage sort of um part of of the manhood journey and and we're going to kick things off with with boyhood and so you've got a 9 and an 11 year old I've got a 12 a 10 uh, and a 3 definitely a young boy uh Perry your kids are roughly the same ages and so we're just going to talk about boyhood and what what has God designed boyhood to look like what are we supposed to be experiencing during that phase of our life to set ourselves up for for successful rests of our lives. Uh, and just here, it sounds like obviously you've had an incredibly adventurous life yourself. And what are you doing to instill the kind of that boyhood spirit in your own kids? Although it comes naturally if we let kids just be kids. Um, and I was just, I was sort of thinking, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Wes, to do most of the talking. But uh, as I was thinking about this, and I was sort of rereading the chapter on boyhood, um, <laughs> have you guys ever laid hardwood? Yeah. 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 It's like that first piece is so important, right? You, you you have to figure it out, measure it. And like once that first piece is in, that sort of dictates and sets the whole rest of the floor. If that one's crooked, if that one's off, if that one's not right, things aren't going to go really well. But you get that first piece in, that first board in, everything else sort of unfolds well. It doesn't mean you can't go back and, and fix it if you mess up. But in my mind, I was kind of like, man, like the boyhood phase is kind of like that first piece of hardwood. We got to get that right. And then I was feeling this incredible like pressure on myself. Like, oh my gosh, I can't mess my kids up. I got to let the kids be kids. What if I'm messing up their boyhood experience? You know, and so like all these thoughts are swirling around in my mind. So I'm excited to just have this conversation. I think it's going to bless you guys, the listeners. And I'll just kick back over to you, Wes. Tell us just maybe a little bit more about yourself, maybe a little bit about your own boyhood experience as well. Like where did you grow up? What are you doing now? And, uh, and just sort of let the listeners know a little bit about who you are. Sure. I was born and grew up in Florida and uh, spent a lot of my time hanging out in the swamps and sinkholes, messing with alligators and snakes. And uh, looking back, I realize now that my dad was a little bit of a workaholic. But as a kid, I didn't really realize that. All I remembered was the really great times we had him taking me on a snake hunt. You know, there's this place that he had found through a friend and we probably just went there two or three times. But I remember distinctly going there and we found copperheads and water snakes and it was just it was amazing for me as a kid to spend that time with my dad. Um, spent some time in Florida, spent some time in Georgia, uh, moved up to Western North Carolina many years ago, um, traveled overseas extensively, and my wife and I moved back to the area about 12 years ago. 
And uh, it, it has been a wild adventure, and we're still learning how to instill that adventurous spirit in our boys, yet uh, adventure with parameters and listening to God's voice and staying within his boundaries. That's great. Um, what do you feel like is one of the aids in terms of, you know, hearing God's voice? Because I feel like that's such a dichotomy. You know, Brett kind of alluded to it like, oh, I'm going to mess my boys up, but still I want to keep them, you know, safe. I want, you know, or keep them, you know, within reasonable risk. You know, I talk about that in, in my company when I give instruction to our employees to say, hey, we want to do things that fall within a reasonable risk parameter, you know? And so how does that play out for you, you know, and your bride as y'all strive to be the best parents you can be to, to balance that freedom, but yet within reason? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I mentioned going to the waterfall with the kids this week and growing up in this area of the country, uh, there's obviously inherent risks. You know, people die every year off of waterfalls, getting banged up by rocks and slipping and sliding and falling. And, and so the boys are aware of these things. And uh, what I love is that they're aware and they know that if they go down a first slide or jump off a rock the first time, they want to go with dad because dad knows dad can protect them. Dad is there to, to walk with them. And I love it now that they've learned to ask, hey, dad, can I jump off of this? Hey, can I, can I slide down this? And nothing pleases my heart more than when I can say, yes, you do it, you know? And so there is this balance of realizing there's risk and danger, yet knowing that if you have this authoritative figure, a, a father figure, you know, we relate this to a godly figure, then there's safety in that, even in that, da that danger there. And so I think we have to translate that, um, each of us spiritually, you know, we're thinking about, you know, life is dangerous, life is scary, life is stressful. Um, you know, we're juggling all these things as men, as husbands, as fathers, as workers, um, and bad things happen. You know, we experience loss, we experience pain, um, and yet we have to realize that our Heavenly Father is walking us through those things, and He is there even when things are scary when things are dangerous and we have to have this trust with him knowing that we're going to be okay. We can, or we can strive for this peace. We can strive for this joy, knowing that he is our father who loves us and he's going to walk us through those things. And there are guardrails, right? I mean, God has established guardrails for us in our own lives as well to help to keep us safe. And it doesn't mean he is limiting us. It doesn't mean that we're limiting our own kids when we set up parameters and guardrails. It's really an expression of love and that it would be, it would be foolish and sort of counter to love to just let our five-year-olds jump off of waterfalls. Obviously, you can't do that. And so thinking about it in those terms, I think, I think is helpful. And recognizing one of the things that I've gotten from the boyhood chapter in particular is understanding that there is a season for each of these phases of the masculine journey and understand the intent, God's intent for the boyhood phase. It's okay to protect our kids a little bit more during that phase and shelter them a little bit and understanding that there is a big, wide, evil world out there, but it's not time for them to be exposed to that stuff yet. Does that make sense? Sure. Right. Yeah. There's a timing. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely timing. I think about my, like, um, 
when, you know, if I'm listening to the radio on, on the way to drive my kids to school and a negative news report comes on, so-and-so was shot and killed at the corner of whatever and what, like I'm, I'm turning the station, not because I don't want them to know that there's evil out in the world, but because they're not, like they don't need that in their head yet. That when they're ready to process it. In That's a right. Way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there is that balancing act between freedom and letting it, you know, versus sheltering them from some of the things that they'll get to that eventually. But right now they're supposed to just be free and easy and feel safe. You use that word safe and know that they are loved and they are protected and they are in that boyhood phase. And let's just let them be boys and girls uh, until it's time to move into the next season. But we're not ready for that season yet. Right. Yeah, I guess when we look at things in a spiritual perspective, you know, the, you mentioned parameters, God's boundaries, his parameters, and we really get that from God's word. You know, we have to know what it says. We have to know how to follow Jesus, what, um, what his parameters are. You know, recently I was just looking at in Romans, you know, everything that Paul experienced, he lived this dangerous life. You know, he was beaten. He was stoned. He was, you know, shipwrecked, all these things. He was blinded by God himself. He heard God's voice audibly. And yet, as he's writing to these uh, these believers in Rome, he says something really striking. He says, let me try to find it for you. It's Romans 15. He says, in verse 4, he says, For whatever was written in earlier times is written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so Paul is basically, he has a right to say, hey, I heard from God, and I've, I've healed people through his power, and I've done all these things, yet... He does his confidence, his hope, his perseverance is not in his personal, like hearing God's voice. It's like rooted in scripture. It's like this is universal to every believer. Like here are God's parameters. Um, if you're struggling to hear his voice, look to his word. You know, if you're struggling for hope, if you're struggling for perseverance, look to his word. That's where it's at. There's the focus point. And I think that's what we as fathers, as sons of the king need to look to is his word to hear from him. Yeah, that's that's an excellent that's an excellent encouragement, Wes. Thanks for bringing us back to that scripture, and it it kind of helps me bounce into the the next question that I have for you, and something that I've always really admired about you personally, and something I've always known you to be is what I tend to think of as a man of dangerous faith, you know, and it's really cool, and I, I see that evidently in your life all the time from all the years that we've known each other is you tend to have this just you know raw and bold and dangerous faith and if the lord is saying hey wes let's go overseas you know and do ministry if wes is saying hey i've got this woman you know set aside as your bride let's you know do these things you have the capacity and the ability um you know from the outside looking in to step into those leadings with this dangerous faith. So, you know, talk to me a little bit or talk to us a little bit about that. And, you know, where does that come from? Does that really go back to your confidence in the scriptures? Is it your experience with God in the past? Is it the combination of both? Like, where do you think, A, your dangerous faith comes from? And then B, how has that manifested and, and grown and over the years? Just talk to us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Well, first of all, I appreciate the the compliment. I'm I'm humbled to to hear that I have dangerous faith. Um, I think when we look throughout Scripture, we see men and women, Old Testament, New Testament, who had dangerous faith. Like the 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 mere definition of Christianity was dangerous. 
Um, those words are synonymous with one another. Um, I think often Christianity, especially in the United States today, has become very safe. It's been become very traditional. It's become just a habit. It's just become a cultural kind of thing. And yet when we look to scripture, like God is calling people to complete surrender, complete abandonment to him, complete trust, even in like the worst, worst, worst of scenarios and situations, whether it's governmental pressure and persecutions, whether it's like extreme sins, no matter what the case is, famine, flood, disaster, whatever, God's people are called to like not live recklessly or, you know, in that kind of danger, but a dangerous faith in trusting him no matter what, even those circumstances of life are completely out of control. Sure. And so I, in looking to that, I, I guess there's no other way to really try to live life. If, if, if this is true, this is right, then my life should somehow symbolize that a little bit. It should look familiar with what we read in scripture. Um, so that's what I'm striving for. That's what I want to see. I want to see the things in scripture. I want to see God true to his character in my life as I see him in his word. And it's still something I'm learning and processing and attempting to, to see and understand and experience and apply. Um, but I thank you for that encouragement. I hope more people would choose to, to live dangerously as the scripture describes following Jesus. And to live dangerously for God requires an inherent trust in in God and his goodness and the fact that he's got you. Um, yeah. How much of that stems from maybe the confidence and trust you had in your own earthly father? I, I'm just wondering, is that why it's so important that we strive to create as positive of a boyhood slash girlhood experience for our own kids as possible, and that maybe if that was lacking in our own lives, is it harder then to step into that complete surrender to God as we walk out our faith journey if we never had that from our earthly father, you know, as kids? I think it definitely helps, uh, but I don't think it's limiting if you did not have that great father experience. Um, that's a great opportunity to find a great fatherhood experience with God as our father. Um, if your father is great, if he nailed it, um, hopefully he's just pointing you closer to God. But even if he nailed it, there's going to still be some places that he ended up failing in, in short. Uh, all fathers, we all make mistakes. Our fathers made mistakes. Um, but as we read scripture, hopefully our impression is that God is good, that we can trust him. Um, even in those terrible circumstances, we can see that he's working things for an awesome plan and purpose for those who trust him and follow him. Is there, you know, I loved when you shared the snake hunt, you know, story as one of the great memories from your childhood, um, kind of a two point question that follows up what you were talking about. Even great fathers, you know, the best fathers in the world are going to fall short. So kind of a two part question. One, is there any other fond memory that you'd love to share about growing up with your dad? It sounds like, you know, there was a lot of uh, nailed it moments, you know, with him that he did things really well. And then the flip side of that coin, you said, yeah, you, you realize as you reflect now, he was kind of a workaholic. You know, is there any more that you'd care to elaborate in terms of, OK, yeah, my dad kind of fell short in this area. As I look back on my life, I see that. And, you know, is there any kind of room for dialogue there? Just reflection in, in that arena. 
Sure. Um, I guess another experience I remember with my dad is he took me to something called Indian Guides. And yeah. it was kind of like a Boy Scout version kind of thing. But uh, they did a lot of, you know, sharpening arrowheads and projects and crafts and that kind of way in the tradition of Native Americans. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, the snake hunt thing, it was probably two or three times in my life. As I mentioned, the Indian Guides, maybe it was like a three month thing. But for some reason, looking back, I see all my childhood in the scope of those few activities, you know, and I guess that speaks uh, volumes to me as a father. You know, it really doesn't take a whole lot to make a really big impression on your kid. You know, like, uh, you know, we should hopefully be more involved than that, you know, like hopefully. But even those encounters mean the world to kids as they're growing up, you know, even if it's two or three times, even if it's these unique experiences that happen once a year, those are really huge and monumental in a kid's life. And I think they stick with you forever. So um, if you're a dad that has lots of commitments and has time finding kids, you know, time for kids, um, find those weekends, find something that we can really dig in and connect with them. And it, that's going to go a long way. Even those little moments that you grab as you can. One of the, I guess the thesis of this particular chapter in the book about boyhood is this idea that uh, our kids want to know that they are the beloved son. He comes back to that theme all of all the time because when we know that we are loved by our father, there is safety in that. There is freedom in that. We can express ourselves as kids. We can we can just rest and move into the rest of our lives from that place of confidence and security to be the beloved son. How can we impart that on our kids? Is it something that just sort of happens? He talks about giving gifts to your kids. Is it words that you say? As you think about things that maybe you have tried to do intentionally, or are there things that you intentionally try to do to instill in your kids the idea that they are your beloved son and, and or daughters? Yeah, John Eldridge's point in there, I think is really right on. And I think it's an encouragement to us all to really figure that out. And it's something I'm still wrestling with. How can I show my kids that they are beloved sons? And um I guess uh, I'm still working on that, but the ways that we've engaged in that is, you know, there, you know, has been, you know, I had some pocket knives that I offered to them for a couple bucks, you know, they had earned some, some money and, you know, they could buy a pocket knife from dad. And um, I guess really, you know, beyond gifts, beyond words, uh, I think the time with boys is most important. And I wrestle with, you know, the kid wants to engage. Hey, dad, can you play with me? Can you do this? And I'm in the middle of something. And it's so easy to just kind of half engage to go sit by them while they're playing Legos and look at the phone and finish doing what you're doing or um, just say, hey, no, we'll do it later. And then that later never comes. But I've found that if I can stop and engage, even if it's just five minutes, that totally fills their cup. And so I think being present is huge and letting them know that they are the beloved son. And so I'm working on being better present in their lives. And I think that would really be an awesome thing for us as dads universally to strive for. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I'm right there with you. And I'm sure the listeners are too. I think we can, as you talk about that, the demand of life or even the agenda that we have as grown men with responsibilities, you know, um, we're not just our children's playmates. We have things that are on the agenda that need to get done every day. 
So it's this wrestling match internally in a mindset. How can I stop doing this task that needs to get done and give my child attention? Well, I think it's beautifully modeled by Christ so often. You know, we talk about, okay, we need the scriptures as our uh, parameter. We need it as our boundary. We need it as our guide. Christ modeled that behavior so frequently. You know, he's on a trip to go help, you know, a sick individual and someone else comes in, interrupts. And it's like, this is time sensitive. Christ is on this time sensitive mission. If he doesn't get there, this person is going to continue down the path of sickness, downward spiral, and probably die. And this other person comes up, makes this big, you know, this interruption. And Christ's followers, his closest friends, the disciples are like, yo, we got to get going. We don't have time for that. And he totally stops the agenda in this direction and gives this individual the time, the attention, the healing that they needed. Gets done with that, turns to go to the next thing. The person's servants goes, ah, they died, you know? And Christ's like, nah, they're just asleep. She's just asleep. <laughs> And everybody's like, oh, whatever. This, you know, they're kind of laugh, probably laughing at him, mocking him, whatever. And sure, it might be a little easier for Christ to do those things because he is, in fact, you know, God in the flesh and has the capacity to, okay, miss the window. They died. Cool. Boom. Wake up. Be healed. But the reality is, I think God will certainly impart his power into our agendas if we cognitively go, okay, this thing is my task. I need to be getting this done. Yet we are interrupted by our children for some attention. We'll take the diversion, give them the attention, give them the love, give them the equipping affirmations that they need. And then come back to that task and go, all right, Lord, we need, uh, we need a little bit of your juice on this one. And I, I think God will, will honor that. And I think if we kind of use Christ as the model and the example, it'll help us get into the mindset more as dads to be willing to lay this thing that we're doing right now to the side and engage with our kids when they ask us. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I remember reading several years back, and I don't even know, remember the name of the book, but he made a case that guys, we often want to, when we're weighing work and we're weighing family, we often cheat our family for work. And so he was making the case that if you have to cheat one way or the other, cheat your work to do family. And I'm not talking about unethical cheating. I'm, I'm talking about tipping the scales of investments and, you know, wanting to, to keep moving on and get things accomplished and done. And he said, it's more important to to try to underdo your work at not making it an expense of your family, you know, giving to them and making that investment in your family instead. And I think as guys, we really wrestle with that. And that's a continual battle. There's, there's things, there's times that I've done that really well. And there's times I've screwed it up and I got to continue to remind myself, okay, my family needs me. I need to be present, not just with my kids, but with my wife and figuring out how to do that, how to make that happen. Uh, it's a, it's a daily battle that, that, that we're in as, as guys. Wes, do you have a favorite kid? Do you have a favorite kid <laughs> of my two? All right. No, you I know? don't, I don't, I don't expect you to actually answer that question, but, but the reason I ask it is because, um, how do we, f 
father our kids differently though, because they are unique. And I think there's a danger and, and it's a funny question, but I think it's a question that really that really might strike at the heart of some listeners who maybe immediately had a kid's name come to mind. I think about the story in the Bible where Joseph, right? He was he was the beloved son. He was given the coat of many colors and like his father loved to the point where all of the other kids knew Joseph was the special one. Right, it's funny. We um we had a 70th birthday party for my for my mom a, a couple of years ago now, and I, I played a game during the party and stuff. It was like this bingo game or whatever. Anyway, it was it was asking questions and and so forth. <laughs> and uh, and I asked I asked my brothers like, come on, who like who are our parents' favorite? And we all said it was Lane. You know, like we all knew that one of our siblings was like the favorite. You know. But that can be dangerous if all of our kids need to feel like they're the beloved son or daughter. How how can we ensure that they all feel equally beloved and right. in their own unique way? Does that make sense? Like, how are are you conscious of that? Are you thinking about that? How are you fathering each of your kids differently to make sure they both feel equally prized? Sure. You know, one of my sons, I naturally connect with um and the other one i have to work a little bit harder to connect with uh one that i naturally connect with shares the same kind of desires he, he enjoys you know the same kind of things the other one wants to do things that i typically might not quite as enjoy and i'm learning to uh again participate with him in those activities without being on my phone without being distracted without wishing i was doing something else but to like actually engage right there in the moment of his joy and happiness, doing what he loves to do and participate with him in that. And I've actually found that in doing that, it does bring joy to my heart, um, realizing that he's connecting with me, doing something that he loves. And and so that's that's something I'm learning too. I'm figuring out how to connect with ways that don't connect as naturally as, as they would. And I'm sure there's plenty of other parents out there that could say similar stories. And I would encourage us all to to find those connection points, even when it's a little uncomfortable, to, to push through and find those ways to to really show them our love and our presence with them. Because the love isn't different. You love the kids equally the same. It's the expression of that love that might need to be expressed a little bit differently. Perry, do you have any thoughts on that? You get you have three kids. Yeah. So first four. off, yeah, four kids. It, sorry. Yeah, I've got four. That's right. Three boys and a girl. Yeah. And so I've I heard I can't remember who said it, but it was some you know, prominent figure on, you know, the social worlds or whatever, and some influencer or author or something. But anyway, she says, oh, my kids know. Favorite is always up for grabs. She's like, so the idea is, oh, I'm going to have a favorite for sure. But it's moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. And she's like, yeah, my favorite is whoever's pissing me off the least. You know what I mean? My favorite is whoever's, you know, toeing the line the best my favorite is whoever's creating the the least amount of you know stress or, or you know drama or whatever for me as a parent and so she's like yeah oh yeah I tell my kids all the time oh so-and-so is my favorite right now and uh I don't know how good of an idea that is to do but when you asked Wes that that immediately came to my mind and I kind of got you know tickled about it um I've also often toyed with the idea I haven't done this yet um, cause I'm not for sure if it's a great idea or not, but I've toyed with the idea of telling all my kids secretively that they're my favorite 
hey, you know, you're my favorite. Um, but I don't know, that might backfire. You know, there's like some level of like, maybe that could go wrong somehow. You know? did, you guys, like, did you guys read The Shack? I mean, it's a fairly old, yeah. it's an older book. I love yeah. that part of the book though, where God personified as, as the, that woman, um, she was like, so-and-so is my favorite. And the, the guy's like, Wait, God has a favorite? Are like, are you kidding me? I didn't think God has a favorite. And then, but then she, God, was talking about everybody as her favorite. Like, literally, genuinely, every one of her kids, the billions and billions of people on the world, are her favorite, legitimately and genuinely. And I think that's, I think that's a really cool idea, though. And it, and it, you're exactly right. You need to tell all four of your kids that they are your favorite, but they all need to know that they actually all four are equally your favorite. You yeah, know, that's. Right. <laughs> not in secret because then they're going to lord it over each other right they might yeah that's what i was thinking about you know they're gonna be oh dad said i'm the favorite and i'm like, well dad said i'm the favorite you know what i mean it's be a funny moment <laughs> then it's going to cause fights and then you're going to punish them and then they're going to be mad at, <laughs> mad at you and... <laughs> i guess perry in your your first scenario the danger would be feeling like uh your kids have to somehow earn your approval yeah. performance-based right. approval um I guess that would be the, the danger in that. Somehow our kids need to realize that our favoritism is not necessarily performance-based, but that they're loved even when they screw up, and they're still our favorite even when they mess up and make mistakes, just like God treats us. That's right. Yeah, 100%, because our, our being loved by God is in no way based on our behavior, our performance our compliance, obedience, not, not in any way. You know, the, the scriptures clearly say, while yet while we were still sinners, God died for us, right? And so we're always the favorite. We can't disappoint God. We can't frustrate God. We can't, he's not going to be in heaven frowning upon us, you know? And I think a lot of times in modern day Christianity, there's a lot of people out there that get this notion that God is up in heaven as this big disciplinarian who's making a list, you know, and checking it off and making records. And I saw you, right? That thing of God sees you. Oh, no, that's not it at all. It's like God sees you. Yes, this is awesome. And so I think we, as we strive to do that with our kids in my own personal life, it's in the moments of when they screw up, I take that opportunity to remind them that they're my beloved. I remind them that they're the apple of my eye. I remind them that I delight in them. I talk to them about that. You know, that might not be the first thing that I say to them if they or when they screw it up. You know, I might talk, we might debrief that choice. We might debrief that action. We might debrief that mindset. But then at some point in that debriefing conversation, I always bring that sentiment to the table of, Hey, there's nothing that you can do that will change my love for you. There's nothing that you can do that will stop my love, that will separate my love from you, that will, you know, anything. I love you all the time, exactly as you are. You don't have to earn it, right? And so I think constantly telling them that in, in my own experience, in the moments of shortcomings helps. Because when we tell them that when they're doing all the things right, I don't think it has the same effect. I mean, what are y'all's thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously they need another loved when they're when they do good things, when they do 
bad things um, in both scenarios. But yeah, I think our language needs to be descriptive of that. You know, like you said, making sure that we are communicating that we all mess up, even mom and dad mess up. God still loves us unconditionally. He wants us to do the right things, but we're not going to mess up his love. And you're not going to lose my love either. You're my beloved son. We love you so much. And we want you to do the right things. And we're going to help you when you when you mess up. And we're going to help make it right. And why don't we ask God to, to, to forgive us and help us through this, to, to make better decisions in the future. And, you know, like our, our language, like you said, when we discipline needs to be evidence of the kind of love that God shows that is not, not phased by our, our, by our behavior. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Wes, if you're, if you're willing, can we get a little bit specific on with, some of the things that Noah's walked through in life, some of the challenges in terms of, you know, medical, emotional things that he's walked through. Do you mind opening up and sharing some of that for the listeners? I think there's probably a large, you know, percentage of the world that has their children walking through hard things, whether that be, you know, emotional development or experiences or, you know, physical challenges in life. Uh, do you mind just opening up a little bit about that some? Sure. Yeah. So when my oldest Noah had, was two years old, he had something called encephalitis. And it's basically a, a fever that goes to the brain. It swells and it caused him to have seizures. And uh, we kind of think we, we kind of thought it was just a fluke thing. And we went to the, the hospital for several days. And um, it wasn't until years later when he was about seven years old that he had another seizure and we went back to the hospital. And first of all, a, a seizure in your, any of your kids is completely terrifying. Um, absolutely terrifying. But we went to the hospital again, spent a week there and they realized that when he had that first episode, there was damage that occurred in his frontal lobe. Some of the pathways, the neurological pathways that your brain has were, were damaged. And they, um, that part of the brain controls impulses and reactions um, memories and, um, also it affects mathematics. And these are all things that Noah had a huge struggle with. He was so impulsive, not thinking through decisions, very reactionary. And it was just infuriating as a parent, like, why can't he get this? What's going on? Um, does he really not remember what he just did? Does he really not remember what happened yesterday when he threw this rock and hurt somebody, you know, those kind of things. And it was just, tormenting as a parent why is my kid not getting it um and so we did realize that there's there's a little bit of reasoning behind that um and so uh he's doing much better now but he's still really delayed in math um he still uh really struggles in school he's behind socially a little bit in some areas but despite all those challenges um god has really blessed noah and Instead of us um, being so concerned about, you know, is he going to succeed in math? Is he going to succeed in school? This, this, this. Uh, we've been encouraged by his spiritual progress, you know, and his spiritual sensitivity. And um, despite having this really uh, hindering uh, neurological thing, God's Holy Spirit is leading Noah. <laughs> and uh, sorry, I get a little emotional thinking about it, but if that can be balanced out with the Holy Spirit's work in Noah's life, um, Noah's going to be awesome, you know, and we're going to cheer him on in his walk with the Lord. And 
learning how to apply God's truth to his life. Um, and the rest of those things don't matter as much, right? That's right. Yeah, that's encouraging. And I think I think there's a really important word there as well, which is just that as parents, as fathers, we need to extend so much more grace to our kids than I think we do sometimes because we don't always know the underlying reasons. In your case, you were wondering why he was a certain way for a number of years. And then there's a, it's almost like, I don't know the right word to use, but it's almost like, okay, now now at least we have an explanation for it. Doesn't matter like when he was seven and so forth. I think about my kids, it, it was it's similar in some ways in that there are certain aspects of their personality and their nature that that just would drive me crazy. Uh, Wes, my my two older boys are adopted. Uh, and they the more that my wife and I have studied and learned, when you experience childhood trauma from an emotional standpoint, it literally can block your brain's ability to develop the way that it is supposed to. And that expresses itself in certain ways. And so, so many of the things that I would get so mad at my kids about, they had no control over. Like their brains literally just weren't the same as another seven-year-old kid's brain in those. And they can be healed and they can be healed by the Lord. And so I love what you're saying about the spiritual growth and the growth there. And we've been praying over our boys and and they have grown so incredibly much. And I I truly believe that God in some ways is rewiring their brains for good and, and, uh, and all of that. But I guess my just encouragement hearing your story, Wes, for the listener is let's just extend more grace even than we feel like we need to to our own kids because when they are acting out a certain way, when they are not getting something, when they are not behaving or acting the way that we feel like they should, and I'm totally talking to myself right now, there are reasons for it. And we might not know what they are, but they need our grace and our love even more in those moments. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I don't think we need to excuse their behavior because sometimes the behavior is sinful, even still, you know, even if there's reasons. Um, But I think we need to understand, you know, the reasons we need to understand why we need to figure out how to engage in a way that will help them grow and process. And sometimes that's a little uncomfortable. You know, if um, my wife and I excelled in school and you figure, you know, you take two fairly smart people, they're going to have smart kids. Well, that's not always the case, you know? And so, uh, having one experience personally and then realizing that my kid is in a completely different place, it's got to cause me to grow and figure out, okay, what does Noah need? You know, I, I processed these things one way, but he needs to process them a different way. Let me figure that out. Let me do the hard work, the leg work, and figure out what he needs, what's going to help him in his journey in life, his spiritual journey, his educational, social uh, journey. Um, and that takes work and that takes a lot of steps trying to figure that out, but we need to do that work instead of just saying, why can't you get this? I got this so easy. You know, uh, we have to spend that time really engaging. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm not sure if I can fully articulate this because I feel like my, as we sit and discuss in these moments, my brain is kind of having a, a new understanding or a new idea. So I'll do my best to try to articulate it, but there has to be some parallel, I think, between grace and knowledge. And so what I mean by that is, you know, Wes, as y'all did the research, as you talked to the medical experts, doctors, et cetera, doing your, you know, extensive study and 
as your understanding grew, your capacity for grace and compassion and patience also grew. It seems like there's a parallel there, right? And Brett, it sounds like from what you said there, as we learned about the emotional with kids experience trauma, it can 100% affect their neurological development in these ways. So it's like new understanding, new knowledge came into your brains on both of these levels and therefore an increased capacity for grace, love, compassion, right? And so I had this click in my brain, like, no wonder God's so compassionate towards us. Infinite knowledge, right? He knows everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing that he doesn't know. And wow, what a cool concept to tie. I've never tied those things together before in my mind. And so what an encouragement, A, because I'm sitting here thinking like, yeah, we need to be more patient with our kids. Yes, we need to be more understanding. And at the same time, I'm like, well, freaking from a practicality standpoint, how the heck are we supposed to do that? And we don't know what we don't know. Right. You know, because it's like, well, how am I supposed to be more compassionate with my kids when they're driving me crazy? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're making me just wild sometimes. And I'm like, ah, but I think there's got to be some connection with understanding. And I think, you know, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal you know, reveal knowledge, reveal knowledge. I think if we have a prayerful mindset and a prayerful practice, if we're requesting information from, you know, the Holy Spirit, I think that is a, is a tangible path to growing in the area of, of patience and understanding and grace with our kids. And then I think also, you know, being active, like both of y'all were in your, you know, parenting situations or scenarios or circumstances, rather is the word I'm looking for. You're, you're being proactive in seeking out a greater wisdom, seeking out an increase of understanding, you know, seeking out a, a broader perspective of knowledge and a deeper perspective of knowledge, maybe not broader, maybe deeper. Um, but you know, for me, as I try to sit here and think about, well, what's the practice, what are some practical steps that can be taken towards an increase in patience and compassion with our kids? I think that's gotta be a big, a big part of it. You know, does that resonate with either of y'all in any way? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I think the answer to that question of how do I grow in capacity of having grace and understanding and patience with my kid, it's. I need to know my kid better. <laughs> I need to know where he's, he or she is coming from and what sets them off, what triggers, what they need to grow in. I need to engage this level to understand and know them better so that I can have more grace and patience with them. And we can ask the Lord for that revelation and that understanding and that wisdom as well. Uh, a few months ago, my wife brought me down this piece of paper with a Bible verse written on it that I have had taped to my computer. I'm literally sitting here reading it right now. And it's like a, this conversation is just kind of a new new insight into this verse from Proverbs 3, 13. It says, the proceeds of wisdom and understanding are better than the profits of silver, greater than gold, and more precious than rubies. Why? Why is wisdom and understanding more valuable than gold, ruby, and silver? 
because of exactly what we've just talked about. If it if it reveals deeper insight into our kids, if it gives us the better capacity for love and grace and patience, man, that's pretty valuable, especially when it comes to fatherhood. I think the same lesson would speak to us concerning you know, relationships with our neighbors, yes. people we run into at the supermarket, the guy who cuts us off in the, you know, the parking lot, you know, those kind of situations I've seen all too often that once I've gotten to know that person, I, I kind of understand why they were experiencing that that day. And just for the benefit of humanity, <laughs> we need to have a little bit more grace with one another, especially as uh, tensions are a little higher and people are easily angered to realize that everybody's carrying their own battle and, you know, we should be really gracious as they, they work through those things and process them. Let's talk a little bit as we sort of maybe think about wrapping up and certainly pair if you have other questions, but, um, but thinking about people who are listening to this, who maybe didn't have the ideal boyhood experience themselves. And now they're trying to father kids, uh, of, of their own in that age, or even just heal from brokenness stemming from their own boyhood experience. Uh, and I'm just going to read a few questions from from the chapter Boyhood in Fathered by God. If if you're listening to this and you haven't read it yet, or if you or if you have, it's on page 60. And I'm just going to read a few of these questions and encourage you as you're listening to this, just to process and think about your own experience. You know, Wes talked about immediate memories from his boyhood and snake hunting and so forth. Uh, I've, I shared on a couple episodes ago some of my fond memories from my boyhood experience, driving around with my dad and playing catch in the backyard and listening to oldies music and, and all of those types of things. Um, but one of the questions that John Eldridge asks in the book is, did I have a father with whom I felt safe? It's an important question. Did you feel safe with your own father? And are you creating an environment where your kids are going to feel safe with you? Did I know I was prized by my father? I think I did. You know, when I think back on that, I knew I knew I was prized by him. I knew I was special to him by the way that he was with me and talked to me and treated me. But that's not everybody's situation. Was I invited to be a boy? Did you get to be a boy? So many kids are asked to grow up so fast. Did you actually have a boyhood? Or were you asked to be the man of the house at age 10? Um, an important question, I think, to, to answer. And, and there are some more questions here and, and why or why not. Wes, I'll kick it back to you. What advice would you have for people who aren't able to answer some of those questions in a positive way, whose boyhoods were cut short or worse? Uh, potentially experienced abuse or or too many of the things that so many boys have to deal with in today's day and age. Thinking through healing in the boyhood phase of the masculine journey, what are your thoughts on some of that and what advice might you have for people listening? I immediately think of something that, that John Eldridge said in that chapter. Um, he mentioned a friend who didn't have that experience from his own father and he was now wrestling with was it okay for him to I, I can't remember what it was I think it was a kayak could could he get a kayak and enjoy this and he was really wrestling with that because he didn't see God as this loving father who wanted to give good gifts and allow him to enjoy things and uh, I was really encouraged that uh, he eventually did get that kayak and he was learning how to embrace God as that father and have that boyhood experience through God now, even though he did not have that 
earlier. And so I guess my, my advice would be to find those ways to connect with God on that level, to experience God as uh, a father and experience joy in him and enjoy what he has created, what he's given, find other guys to participate in that with, um, connect with other men on that level. Even now, if you missed out, even as a child, find that connection with God, find that with other guys as well. Yeah, that's great. You know, do some boyhood things, right? Like go fishing, climb a tree, go exploring, you know, uh, go on a hike, you know, those types of things. I think we can, I think oftentimes if we missed out on some of those boyhood adventurous experiences, uh, maybe we don't seek them out now because we haven't been conditioned to live that adventurous life. You know, there's a lot of people maybe listening that don't do things like hike in the woods and slide down waterfalls. Right. And so I think that it's, it's number one, okay to for people to realize that those things are good and okay and healthy and even as grown men we can go have these fun adventures and and do things because some even though we're grown men now there's still an element of that boyhood spirit within us right i mean like i personally love to go just climb a tree there's actually one in our town it's on the courthouse lawn and at the top of the tree is probably I mean, it's probably 60 feet off the ground. And I love to get so high in that tree that it's, you know, the top of it. If you ever been up in a tree when it starts to thin out, yeah. the top of it starts to get a little bit unstable, right? And that's, that's a fun hoot for me. And I've taken my oldest son up that tree with me. It's high enough that I haven't taken the younger ones yet, you know. But, um, yeah, I would just echo that and follow it up with, you know, a prayerful spirit of you know i think too one thing we can do is is ask the lord to show us how did was there a point where we missed out on the boyhood stage and i think we can invite the lord because god is a relational god who is alive and well today and wants to engage with us on a daily hourly moment by moment basis i think we as men you know sometimes forget that we have the Father right here with us all the time. God is ever present, always here. And so we can ask God to, A, reveal to us maybe how we're broken, B, fulfill that missing link to our journey. God, fulfill that link in my life. You know, we can ask for that and we can actively seek it out. Um, and so, yeah, those two things, asking for the revelation, asking for God to fulfill it, and then being okay with going and doing some of those things, you know, and then, so the adventurous part of it is an aspect. And then the other part is to feel completely safe. You know, I think that we can also ask God to, to remind us, you know, in the midst of the storms of life that we operate in, you know, oftentimes as men, we feel like, okay, boom, put this on my shoulders. I'm going to carry it. I'm the provider. I'm the leader. I'm the caregiver. I'm the, all these things for my family. It's up to me. It's up to me. It's up to me. It's hard to have, you know, the essence of a boy feeling completely taken care of under the shelter of this perfect father. But I think as we get opportunities in our lives where the world would say, man, what are you doing about that? You, you're, you better be freaking out. You better be going for it. Right. We can, have that childlike faith of, you know what, 
I'm God's boy. He's got this covered. And there's an ex- a specific example I can speak to in my own life as we wrap up. And that is we just recently sold our building for our business, for our gymnastics business here in Rutherfordton. We sold the building and we didn't have the next place lined up. And I have some business friends and some believers that are like, Perry, what, like, what are you doing? Like you sold, you sold the building. You don't have your next place lined up. Like that's so irresponsible, right? Cause the world's way of doing things is like, Oh, this is so irresponsible. How could you do that? But I am a man striving to be a man of dangerous faith also. And I'm like, well, the Lord orchestrated this sale. So he's already got something else lined up. I'm just not in on it yet. And so it's about, you know, it's not about freaking out. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What is Perry Hughes going to do to make this next thing happen? It's what has God already done? And I can't wait to see how he reveals it to me. Right. And so it's that kind of mindset that I think if we can, and it's not, we don't always operate that way, but if we can strive towards operating in that mindset of I'm God's boy, he's got this taken care of. It's just a matter of him revealing it to me as I seek it out is another aspect of how we can live with the completeness of initiation and the experience of, of the boyhood, you know, set you know chapter or i don't mean chapter of the book but chapter of life uh flesh that out every day if that makes sense it does so i think that's a good a good place to leave it and encourage you guys the listeners to just wrestle with all of these questions it's it's not easy it's um it it takes work it takes it just takes going before the lord and humbling ourselves before the lord and um we acknowledge and know that man, there are there are men who have had really messed up childhoods, and I just want you to know that we understand that, that we acknowledge that, um, and that we're here for you for that, and more importantly, that you have a God that loves you, that you are the beloved Son of your heavenly Father, uh, and He He is there for you. He wants to restore that relationship with you and heal those broken things. So with that, Wes, uh, we really honor you and appreciate you for your time this morning. We know you're busy as a pastor and a father and all the things going on in your life. So we thank you very much for your time, for the wisdom that you've had to share and impart, and just just trust that that it is hitting people exactly where they need to to hear it. So thank you for your time this morning, Wes. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a lot of fun. As always, we will see you on a future episode of the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I have gotten in the habit of saying subscribe, but I've just realized that there's actually not even really a subscribe button anymore, at least not on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I think it's like a follow. So there's like a little plus sign or something. So follow us. That also sounds a little bit weird to ask you guys to like follow us. No, anyway, but follow us on on whatever podcasting platform that you are using so that you're alerted when we talk about the cowboy stage and the warrior stage and all of the rest of the stages of the masculine journey as we continue going through Fathered by God. I'll post a link in the show notes below so you can grab a copy if you haven't yet. Uh, And of course, have a great week. God bless you all. And we will see you and talk with you again on a future episode. Take care, everyone.